Hey, it's Casey. Fastco Works has a bonus episode for you today. It's part of a custom podcast called Creativity Equation, a special series about science, technology, and innovation produced in partnership with GSK. But don't worry, we'll be back next week with another episode of Creative Conversation. I'm Julianne Pepitone, and this is Creativity Equation, a special series on science, technology, and innovation in partnership with GSK. When trying to solve the world's biggest problems, whether that's cancer or COVID-19, vaccines or antibody therapies, no single person or organization will have the solution. So working together makes sense, which sounds great in theory. In practice, how do you find the right people you can work with and whom you can help? How do you sit down with your rival and get to work, knowing that if your competitor became your collaborator, you might both reach your goals? And what makes some partnerships long-lasting, while others short-lived? To learn about collaboration when it comes to solving major challenges in human health, I spoke with Dr. Hal Barron. He's GSK's chief scientific officer, and he leads the company's research and development efforts, which spans areas such as infectious diseases, cancer, and respiratory disease. Over his 25 years in the business, Hal has built a reputation for seeking out collaborations, including unique partnerships with healthcare startups. So I wondered, how does Hal define what makes a great partnership? And how does he find the people who are key to helping his team discover the next great innovation for medicine? Hal, I know collaboration is key for you as a leader. GSK starts with a culture of scientists steering advanced science internally, but what happens when you look outside? What do you look for in a great partnership externally? We have this saying in pharma biotech, it's called the NIH syndrome, but it's referred to not invented here. Having a culture that's open-minded to innovation from the external that will really be able to tap into this mass network of academics, other small companies, even sometimes big pharma companies to collaborate. So we, we embrace that. I think the thing that I look for the most, the thing that comes to mind that's the most important piece of a collaboration, I think is frankly head spinning talent. I'll, I'll, I'll say that, you know, where you, where you look at the people in the company and you just say, wow, okay, wow. The first partnership you initiated when you came to GSK was with genetics company 23andMe. How did that one come about? Yeah, that, that was a it was an interesting story. It was just a step back. I mean, Anne and 23andMe have been collecting data on people and their genomes to try to help them understand their own health and to empower people. And it became increasingly clear that the power of this to discover these outliers and to actually be able to help them and their children if we could figure out ways of modifying the disease was something that I think has been central to a lot of folks who are sort of obsessed, if you will, with the ability of genetics to really identify drug discovery. I was just running one day. It was just finished and I was getting a drink of water from the water fountain. And there was a guy who said, oh yeah, thanks for calling me back. You're, you're my only friend who's a doctor and I just wanted to run my, my 23 knee results by you. And I thought, oh my gosh, I should move away. I should, you know, it seems weird. And I moved away and the guy was very loud and he kept walking towards me and I kept walking the other way, but he was saying, yeah. you know, I got this from 23andMe. I'm really, most of the data in here, I wasn't too surprised about, but this thing really threw me for a loop. I know it's not like a guarantee I get the disease, but it definitely puts me at risk. Is there, do you know if anybody's working on this disease? 
And in fact, we were. And it just made me realize how important it is because these are not just data points. Okay, you often talk about technology and big data and all this Kaplan Meyer curves, but these are real people who have real problems. And what's super important to understand about genetics is that it's not always just you, it's your kids. And so, you know, the idea of being able to collaborate with regular people across the globe to put all of our information together to try to help us figure out why we get sick so that we can hopefully intervene. You know, that's the kind of vision that I think is so exciting is that the, all of us are getting together. It's not just doctors telling patients or academics telling people, it's patients and people are getting together with companies to kind of try to figure out how to optimize their health. And it's, I think it's just, again, the, it's the beginning of this transformative process for how to discover and develop drugs and include people in the process. Hal, what I love about that story is that you were not on the clock. You were not in a GSK lab. You were not in the office. You were going for a run, doing your own thing, getting a drink of water, and you overhear something that gives you this idea for collaboration. So, I mean, it sounds to me that you're always kind of on in that respect. You're always, you're just looking at the world around you for possible partners, other people who are doing other things, and how can that link up with what I'm doing? I think the key thing is for all of us that care so deeply, it's not really clear when work stops and when life starts outside of work. It's, you know, I, I was a clinician, a cardiologist at UCSF, and the reason I did this is I thought I could help more patients. And so I think it's, I feel like the luckiest guy in the world to get to work in the profession I do and to work with such outstanding people. And I actually find it fun and energizing to be thinking all the time and just asking questions. So why is that happening? Why does that make sense? And sometimes it makes sense and you just move on. Sometimes it doesn't make any sense and you decide, hey, that doesn't make any sense. We should think about that. And when you can collaborate with so many brilliant people and just, I don't know how many times I've read a paper and I just think, oh my gosh. And I pick up the phone to one of my reports and go, hey, could you just read this? I just want to talk to, talk to you more about this tomorrow. And he'll say, or she'll say, Sure. And then we talk tomorrow and it's probably a Sunday, but it doesn't matter because we just think it's, you know, more fun than what we would have done. And uh, it sounds a little geeky, I know, but because in the end, you know, making a difference in people's lives, it's a very incredible privilege to have the opportunity to work in healthcare and, and biotech and farm. Working with folks like 23andMe is one thing. Genetic data is valuable for and complementary to GSK's drug discovery work. But how do you collaborate with a direct competitor? In the race for a COVID vaccine, we're hearing about lots of competitor collaborations, including GSK and Sanofi. Hal, for those of us not in pharma, I think the perception is that this is a hyper-competitive industry. So to hear you talking about sitting down with folks who you compete with, especially in working toward a COVID vaccine, it feels surprising. So how do you set up that framework to sit down and collaborate with someone you usually compete with? And how do you decide what you're going to share? Well, I think the COVID, you know, it's amazing to me to see how collaborative everybody has been. I know when this whole thing broke out, I had no idea what to do. I mean, you know, people are saying, oh, we got to shut down the labs. I'm like, oh, really? Do Are you sure? Is that the right thing to do? I mean, we have medicines. We've got to get them out. How do we do all these plans. And I said, you know what? I wonder what. I wonder what my colleagues at Merck are doing. I wonder what my colleagues at Novartis are doing. I wonder what my colleagues at J&J are doing in Takeda. So these are all friends of mine. So I called them. I said, what are you doing? And I say, well, here's what we're doing. What are you doing? I'm not sure we're doing it right. And within about an hour, I'm talking with a friend of mine from J&J, from Janssen. He said, why don't we just form a group? 
all the heads of R&D, we should just meet weekly and figure out what the heck to do. So we did. It kept growing and growing and we meet and we just bring up problems. They say, well, what are you doing about that? You know, are you doing this? Are you doing that? And then it came down to how do we make better vaccines? How do we collaborate more on this? How do we do that? And then the, the concept of should we be sharing data? Should we be helping each other be successful in different ways? And, and, and the answer was sure. And everyone said, terrific idea. Let's do it. Because the key thing was, let's fix this thing. We, we have special stuff. We, you know, scientists and science is it's like, you're almost like a superhero these days. It's the only way to get this planet back in shape. And, and so it comes with a tremendous responsibility to do this thoughtfully. And, you know, we're just trying to make the world a better place. And it's just wonderful to see everyone collaborate. So, you know, it, it gets back to the head spinning talent is one thing, but also the people who, who actually care deeply, who work hard, care deeply, leave their ego at the door, if you will, and just do it for the right reason. That ends up finding, you know, probably two thirds of who we collaborate with. If we didn't have really impressive competitors, I wouldn't be pushed as hard to make truly innovative stuff. I would kick back and just say, well, you know, we're pretty good. Nobody else is any good. So, you know, why should we really worry? Why should we wake up at two in the morning with a new idea? It's, it's all going to be fine. They're almost they're almost your friend rather than an enemy in that way, because if they keep raising that bar, that means you need to keep raising your bar. I assume you're kind of keeping each other sharp. Exactly. You can look at it that way. And I think that's the way I look at it, which is, yeah, does it make life harder for me? Because I'm constantly having to try to create, you know, things better than the other people. Yeah, it's a lot harder. So on one level, do I wish it was a little easier? Yeah. But but on the biggest picture, I am so glad there's somebody kicking me in the pants every day because it's good for patients. And that's why I did it. And that's why everybody did it. That puts such a positive spin on it, too, because I think when you hear competition, competitive rivals, these just... These sound like these almost negative terms that it's someone to fight against, someone who is an enemy. So to think of that person as a friend in a way, or at least someone who's boosting you up to help you get better in them doing their own great work, it's just a very interesting spin on it. I think I think the enemy is disease. And I think that's how to frame this. The true enemy is the thing that we're trying to get rid of, which is disease and making people live longer and feel better. And at the end of the day, the competitors are helping us be more successful at the enemy, which is disease. I think that's absolutely true. I think it's a, the right way to look at it. It's much more inspiring. I think it frames collaboration models for GSK. You know, it's a, it's a delicate balance of finding people who collaborate and share your common enemy. I think the key thing for head-spinning talent, what I was trying to get at by cultural fit is people who genuinely deep down, are doing this to help patients. If you have the same enemy, it works out well. There, Hal talked about collaboration in the spirit of fighting against a common enemy, disease. That's a helpful framework philosophically, but I was also curious about what that looks like operationally. For example, who's in charge when two equals come together? How do you avoid an imbalance of power or letting decisions die in committee? And how can you set up a partnership so both sides feel like they win? One of the other features we do with collaborations that I think is very important is we, we structure them such that we can be very generous. And by that, I mean, we might take an equity investment in our collaborator so that we are rooting for them financially. You've got your own skin in the game. Skin in the game, yeah. So, so we have skin in the game of them succeeding. And ideally, they have skin in the game for us succeeding. And so it isn't just being generous by saying, oh, well, why don't you take this or why don't you do that? It's actually a, a smart decision. And so we try to structure them so that it's a truly a win-win. And they say, well, that's very generous. I said, I'm not being generous yet. I just want to know. Because if we're, we're not able to give you anything special, like if it's just money and everybody has money, 
as much as I'd love to work with you, maybe we're not the right group because you're not going to value us. But if you say, look, you have this one thing that if we had, it would be one plus one is six. And then we say, wow, that's interesting because you have something that for us is a one plus one is six. It's a lot like relationships. If you both feel really lucky, it works out. If only one person feels lucky, I don't know. Doesn't Right. You're probably headed toward divorce. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. So we want you to think we're special because there will be people who find what we have special. It's, it's a mix of perfect fit, outstanding people, lots of definitions and really getting to like beyond, yes, getting to a win-win. Partnerships bring together people from many different company cultures, different processes, totally different mentalities. How do you manage effective decision-making in a partnership, whether that's, you know, day-to-day, who's doing this, who's doing that, or managing in some cases, I would imagine, perhaps at least a perceived imbalance of power? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And it's really important for me anyway, that I stick true to a principle, which is there's always only one decision maker. I think that what you find in the ideal collaborator is someone who you feel so comfortable giving them decisions for two reasons. One, you're so impressed with them that, you know, frankly, you kind of think they'll probably make a better decision than you. If the economics and the deal structure is such that they're not incentivized to do the wrong thing, if they're incentivized to do the right thing, and you partnered with these head-spinning talent people, I could even ask the question, why wouldn't you always give them decision-making? You, you found the best and brightest in the world. I've hired people that are terrific, and I'm extremely confident they'll make better decisions than I would. So I'm not doing to be generous or inspiring or any way. I'm doing it because I think that optimizes the quality of the decision. I think collaborators should be seen as just like your own employees. They're, they're people who are on your team. And so I don't find it as challenging to delegate or to offer up that they can make the decisions and their final as long as I think it's, they're incentivized to do what we all think is the right thing. So in other words, a company might opt out, we might take it forward, and if it works, we might give them a piece, even though they spent nothing on it, because that's what a good collaborator does. And it then becomes almost like, oh, wow, that's terrific, because we would have got zero because we can't afford it. But because we're collaborating with you, it's better than zero. Then it's everybody's whole. Collaboration is a lovely concept, but it takes an intentional framework both philosophically and operationally, for it to be successful. For some, the first step may be recognizing what Hal called NIH syndrome, or not invented here. I think this isn't so much about ego as it is simply slipping into hyper-focus on what's happening at your organization because you're passionate about it. But when you expand your thinking outside of your four walls, a literal world opens itself to you. For GSK, disease is the dragon to slay. But that idea is applicable to all industries. The enemy could be complexity, danger, complacency, whatever it may be. The point is, every company is trying to solve a problem. And if you stay focused on that problem, you can come together with competitors to great success because true collaboration isn't a zero-sum game. In fact, when done right, it's one plus one equals six. That's all for this episode. Creativity Equation is produced by Fast Co. Works in partnership with GSK. KC will be back with a new episode of Creative Conversations next week. I'm Julianne Pepitone. Our producer is Avery Miles.